Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we are discussing the curious case of the missing charity minister. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Silly Halloween. Um, And as ever, we'll be bringing you our good news bulletin of quirky or unusual stories from the sector. But first, where's the weirdest place when you've lost something? Where's the weirdest place that it's ever turned up? Oh, this is a, it's a very mysterious story, this one. Uh, my, my little sister had a stuffed toy platypus when she was a baby. Uh-huh. And she absolutely loved this toy. Anyway, one day when she was about two years old, it vanished. And she was absolutely inconsolable. And my parents searched everywhere uh, and they couldn't find it. And they gave it up for lost. Um, and then about six months later, they were getting the bicycles out of the shed for a family holiday from, from the back of the shed. And my mum found the platypus. Uh, somehow, who can say how, it had been stuffed into the plastic uh, bucket carrier on the back of my tricycle. On the back of your tricycle. To this day, how it ended up there remains a mystery. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't possibly think how it could have got there. Who can say it? Yes, we were all scratching our heads about it. Wow. Um, okay, so story of theft there. Ah, uh, excuse <laughs> you. Potential theft? Potential excuse theft? Excuse you. Don't you know about defamation? Oh, <laughs> you, sh- you definitely I, should. <laughs> you mentioned it occasionally. I keep meaning to look it up. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Why Why are you uh, making these sinister aspersions about my character, Rebecca? Sinister aspersions and where you might have lost something. I'm just, I'm just trying to think, basically. I'm racking my brains. Um, the reason we're talking about this is that at the time of the recording, the charity sector seems to have, you know, hopefully temporarily lost its minister. And, you know, having checked down the back of the sofa, we're still not sure where they can have got to. So I was looking for some inspiration, frankly. <laughs> so this situation may well have changed, of course, by the time this podcast goes out on Friday. But still raises some really interesting questions for the sector. Yes, it certainly does. So a quick retrospective. Um, Last week, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, announced a reshuffle of his cabinet. Among those to do well from the shake-up was Nadine Dorries, who was appointed Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport after Oliver Dowden was moved on to become the Conservative Party chairman. So we're going to come on to chat about Dorries' appointment in a minute, but the more pressing thing for the sector is that Baroness Barron, who has been the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Civil Society since 2019, was transferred to the Department for Education. So this move was announced on Friday 17th of September, uh, the day after the top-level cabinet positions were announced, and incidentally the same day as our annual awards ceremony, so we were all out of the office, which, uh, thanks for that one, uh, Boris, that was that was Yeah, unhelpful. cheers. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was announced Friday 17th of September, and we still don't know what's happening. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, despite the fact that we were all out of the office, and, and so that was a bit of a, a shocker, but it was quite ultimately a surprising move to me because you don't normally see the charities minister getting reshuffled all that much. And since then, we have been waiting for an announcement as to who her replacement might be. But so far, it is crickets. And so you, dear listener, in the distant future of Friday, may by now know the answer. But even if the new minister has been announced and this podcast is now out of date, the fact that the charity sector was kept waiting to see who it would be working with in government is 
not fantastic. Yeah, and there were some rumours flying around that the brief was going to be moved from DCMS to Michael Gove's new levelling up department, kind of which used to be part of you know, it's housing and, and as well and communities and levelling up, which I mean, many saw as something of a demotion for the sector. But yeah, it's since been confirmed that the Office for Civil Society will remain within the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. And, you know, in the current circumstances, I think that's a relief. But I suspect many in the sector would like to see it return to the cabinet office where it was kind of seen to be much more at the centre of things. And that's where it was until a few years ago. Absolutely. And, you know, we have also seen many people in the sector commenting on what this uh, relaxed attitude the government has taken to making the appointment really says about charities and their relationship with the government. So Deborah Alcock-Tyler, who is chief executive of the Directory of Social Change, wrote in an article last week that the lack of news meant, you know, it's hard not to to get seriously cross, in her words, about how little our sector clearly matters to this government. Of seriously cross, it's just such a nice little bit of kind of understatement from from Deborah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We also saw the chief executive of the British Asian Trust, Richard Hawkes, tweet that uh, that there is still no charities minister nine days after the reshuffle is unfortunately another sad indictment of the charity sector's ability to influence and be relevant to government. We all need to do better. I mean, I think he's, he's, he's got he's got a bit of a point, but I think he's being a tad unfair there. Like, the sector is relevant to government. You know, that's demonstrated by the vast array of support and services it's managed to offer so many people throughout the pandemic. You know, that's even just in the pandemic. There are so many other reasons that government probably needs to pay attention to charity. But there's there's really only so much the charity sector can do if the government simply isn't willing to acknowledge that relevance. You can talk to them, but if they're not listening, they're not listening. Um you know, and I, I kind of think this lack of interest is something that predates the reshuffle. As we said, the charity's brief was moved away from the heart of government when it was taken out of the cabinet office a few years ago, and it's subsequently been given to ministers with split portfolios. So Tracy Crouch, she held the position from 2017 to 2018, and she was also the minister for sport and then loneliness as well. Um, and in fairness, she was a really kind of engaged minister. When you spoke to her, she really, you know, was very enthusiastic about it. But you always got the impression that her focus just leaned a little bit more towards the sport part of her brief. She quit over an issue related to fixed odd betting terminals. Um, so a sport related issue, you know, it was an issue of principle, but, you know... It- it wasn't actually anything to do with the charity's brief. And of course, this is like all before my time with Third Sector. So I'm not really that au fait with the former ministers. Um, who else have we had? Um, so then we had Mims Davies. Uh, she was in office for like scarcely nine months. So like, farewell Mims, we hardly knew you. <laughs> um, and, and then we had Baroness Barron, who she isn't responsible for sports. So that brief got split up again, but she still has the loneliness brief, which I think sits more naturally with charities. But it, I think there just is something indicative there that it's kind of being lumped in a sort of half a brief. And so like Baroness Barron is uh, the former founder and chief executive of a charity. You know, she knows about the sector. She, she knows her stuff. And she was kind of seen as somebody who genuinely cared about charities and, and, and the work they do. I wouldn't say she wasn't the easiest person to get an interview with, but that's not really a reflection on how she did the job. It's just just a bit annoying for us. Um, but, you know, she has she has been on this podcast. and Yes, I was going to say, we did on one occasion have Baroness Barron on the podcast. So Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, she she, she was kind of seen as someone that cares. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, as you say, she was seen as very invested in the charity sector. Um, and she, you know, she she knew her brief. She, she knew the brief, but... As Deborah pointed out in her blog, you know, ultimately that power and that influence within the department was not really enough to substantially influence the direction of of travel for the sector. Um, And and Deborah went on to say that the sector had, quote, 
ended up being taken no more seriously by the Secretary of State, the Treasury or the PM at the end of Baroness Barron's tenure than at the beginning. So, you know, not too much by way of major change. Yeah. And again, she can be as invested as she likes. But if her colleagues in government aren't going to listen, you know, there's a limit to what she's going to achieve. You know, we did have this big civil society strategy, which sort of started under Tracy Crouch and and kind of, you know, was was then sort of taken over by Mims Davies and then and then Baroness Barron. And it kind of hasn't really it's not something we talk about as like a landmark thing. I don't think it's really done a lot. It's sort of disappeared without a bit of a trace, to be honest. And why do you think it is that we have just seen less and less kind of coming from government in more recent years? I don't know. I just I think the Johnson government has kind of demonstrated time and time again that it isn't that bothered about charities or or at least having a deeper understanding of how they work. So, you know, we sort of saw that in all the talk about the gentleness of charities on the one hand and then the 750 million emergency pandemic funding that right. you know, wasn't really enough and was sort of fairly poorly distributed. There were a lot of questions about how that was given out. Um and I just, yeah, I just think we've seen less public engagement from the Office for Civil Society in recent years. And again, that's kind of a little bit of a point about how much they're talking to us, you know, which is, is a bit self-interested. But there is a wider issue there around how much they want to be seen to be talking to and about charities and to be working with them. There is a kind of this public engagement, like we're a government that talks about it, look at what our Office for Civil Society is doing. It's kind of not really there. I thought a uh, question Deborah asked in her blog, which was a very interesting one, was does this actually matter, the lack of interest? Ultimately, how important is it? So she argues that, you know, the sector is actually fairly independent. It doesn't report to any government department, even if there is a minister who nominally has responsibility for it. The vast majority of the sector also gets no financial support from central government departments. And most state money comes through local authorities, it comes through the NHS or from other public sector bodies. And where charities do need to exert their influence, uh, she says it's more likely to be in those departments that are responsible for their specific cause areas or their missions. So justice or the Home Office, so on and so on and so on. So ultimately, you know, the Office for Civil Society may not be hugely important for charities. Yeah, I do agree with that to a certain extent. Like like I say, it feels like the OCS has been kind of getting quieter for a few years now and charities have just got on with things you know they've just they've just got on and done things and and like i said there may well be more stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not kind of privy to but you know i think charities have just got on and done it without worrying about what the government says to and about them um but you know i do think it's important as society for a whole that government does take charities seriously like they are a major part of the social and economic fabric of the uk and it's just it's just a bit weird, really, to have a government so fundamentally disinterested in in how it works. You know, so I, th- I think there is there is something there about government's engagement with charities, as Deborah pointed out. There's there's an issue there about you know that that actually government policy will be poorer for it as well because charities are feeding into government policy, and they're they're often the people on the ground who understand how the policy is going to work in action. Um, but aside from anything else, it is also just a really messy way to run things, you know, just not to have somebody in a job like this for so long after everyone else has been appointed. They're actually kind of saying, oh, reshuffle's finished. And it's like, it's not. 
there's someone missing. You haven't even told us, you know, yeah. if you're if you're dissolving the role, you haven't even confirmed that yet. It's so embarrassing. It's like a group has gone on a group outing and just forgotten somebody at the <laughs> yeah. at the petrol station. <laughs> We've been left behind at the pumps, which is, you know, the worst place to be left at the moment, given the current, you know, massive fuel crisis going on in the country. It really is. That analogy just went further than I expected it to. It really did. And then I got distracted because you were telling me the other day about how your mum saw a fist fight between a taxi driver and somebody else yes. at the um, Sainsbury's forecourt in New, New Cross. <laughs> Importantly, there is no crisis. That's the important yes. thing to remember. Absolutely. But yes, getting back to, to ministers and stuff. I yes. Just, there is something about the whole ministerial appointments system is it's a bit bonkers. It's really strange that jobs that have so much power to shape policy and so many aspects of, of UK life are just handed out to whoever the prime minister happens to like or trust at that time. You know, and then every so often everyone plays musical chairs and, and gets shifted into a job where they know absolutely nothing about the subject. That that just seems to me not to perhaps be the most effective way to run things. And I say this as someone whose job often involves becoming a 10 minute expert in something. Is it the best way to run things? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so jumping on from that, let's talk about the appointment of Nadine Dorries as culture secretary. She has written a fair few novels and she was also on I'm a Celebrity. So perhaps it's not fair to say that she knows absolutely nothing about culture. However, you know, what I think is interesting is that she has definitely expressed a lot of opinions about people being woke and so on. So, you know, for example, in 2017, she tweeted, quote, left-wing snowflakes are killing comedy, tearing down historic statues, removing books from universities, dumbing down Panto, removing Christ from Christmas and suppressing free speech. So she's quite vocal in that area, I think we can say. Yeah, aside from anything else, sorry, there are so many issues, but I just want to focus on this one. Can we just talk about the dumbing down panto bit? Because like, I, 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 you know, I don't believe in being snobby about panto. You know, I think it's many people's first experience of theatre. It's daft and it's fun and it's camp and I actually really enjoy it. Um, so, you know, I, I'm here for panto. I, I just have no idea what she's on about there at all. I'm going to have to go back and, and look at what the, the pantomime discourse in 2017 was, because I certainly can't remember it. Yeah, were pantomime, was pantomime of, of, of ages past sort of a more intellectual experience than it, it currently is? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, but there have been a lot of jokes in the left-wing press about how she's going to be kind of minister for culture wars and, you know, a lot of celebrations in the right-wing press over the same thing. And, you know, and that, that's pretty scary from an arts and culture perspective. You know, the idea that the government could play a part in deciding what sort of art is acceptable is pretty creepy. Yeah. But, yeah, it also just doesn't bode well for charities who found themselves, you know, let's say in the crosshairs of the culture wars quite a few times in the past year or so. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, let's turn back for a minute to Oliver Dowden's blog, what ultimately turned out to be his swan song uh, about getting charities, quote, back on track. So in The Telegraph, Dowden complained of a worrying trend in some charities that appear to have been hijacked by a vocal minority seeking to burnish their woke credentials. That is a line I pulled from the blog. So he kind of wrote this particular line. And then, you know, more worryingly, I think, further down in this article said that he had instructed the people who are hiring the new chair of the Charity Commission to look for someone who would, quote unquote, reset the balance and refocus charities on their central mission. It, it implies that Baroness Stahl was somehow too left wing for his taste, right? Or like too liberal even setting aside, you know, the former chair, it hints at this real departure from what the regulator is actually there to do, which is to be 
neutral in these circumstances. And something which I thought was, you know, particularly notable was that the blog was then republished on the government's website, which suggests that obviously they endorsed that position. And and yeah, and it is really important point that the charity commission is supposed to be, you know, I think Quango was the old old like it, it's supposed to be autonomous. It's supposed to be separate from government. It is it is not the arm of the state telling charities how to behave. And also, actually, the charity commission doesn't get to tell charities how to behave beyond charity law. Yeah. You know, they can't tell trustees what to do. They cannot fetter the discretion of trustees unless they open a statutory inquiry. So it's both breaking the relationship between the Charity Commission and the government and charities and the Charity Commission. Absolutely. Well, you know, according to the grapevine, Dowden was actually really shocked to be reshuffled away from the DCMS. Um, the announcement of his move came just 45 minutes before he was due to be addressing the British television industry at the Royal Television Society in Cambridge. So, you know, it didn't look as though he was expecting to be moved on. So that did make me cackle a bit that he had basically put out this taking back control article only to be removed from his brief 48 hours later. You know... Um, divine justice, who can say? <laughs> However, I'm not exactly confident that Nadine Dorries will be taking a more liberal approach to the sector. I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But going back to the charities minister, Rebecca, I guess you now have an opportunity to look like a prescient genius or to get egg on your face. Well, this could be fun. Do you have any guesses as to who you think might be appointed? Matt Hancock's due a comeback at some point, right? Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> I mean... He has redeemed himself a surprising number of times. I, at this point, I have such low expectations for sort of what constitutes being uh, removed and then, well, he wasn't remo removed, was he? I suppose he resigned. But, you know, he's a, he is a bit of a comeback kid. Yes. So I'll say nothing's off the table. Yeah, I am 95% joking about that. <laughs> yeah, the 5% of me, you know, there's this whole thing about like, you know, Boris Johnson doesn't like to you know, I think got rid of him quite unwillingly because he's been sacked for the same thing. Like Boris Johnson's not someone that's going to sack people over affairs normally. And, you know, I, I think the door is open. And actually, if you were, if you were trying to slip him back in quietly, you wouldn't do it in the middle of the reshuffle when everybody, you know, the whole of the, the kind of, you know, Westminster press corps are sort of trying to, to find the scoop and the latest kind of who's, who's got what job. You might do it a couple of weeks later, just like, oh, yeah, Matt Hancock. I, I, I'm mostly joking, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who else? I think Bernard Jenkins is kind of pretty happy doing his kind of stuff on committees, but I, he would be an interesting choice. Um, I think, you know, he's he's kind of you know, had an interest in charities in the past. Lord Hodgson wrote, if we're sticking with the, you know, with, with people in the House of Lords, Lord Hodgson wrote the, um, did the consultation on, on lobbying and the Lobbying Act and sort of has, has written the recommendations there. And actually... Like, like I said, Tracy Crouch, you know, she was pretty keen and pretty interested and, you know, and she quit on a point of principle over sport. But, you know, if she isn't busy. Maybe she could come back and have another go at the charity charity sector. Yeah, I'm sure it will be none of those. But yeah, why not? Um, how about you? What do you think? As a wild card, I'm just going to submit Michael Fabricant. Um, okay. You know, he's been knocking around for years and he did go on celebrity first dates once. Okay. So might be, you know, <laughs> have that little crossover with the DCMS if indeed reality TV is the uh, yardstick by which we're measuring culture now. I mean, it is an undeniable element of culture. Well, thanks for being on, Endor. So I sincerely hope that all of our guesses are wrong, but hopefully someone will have thought to check that one last place and will have found a minister hiding in it by this time next week. We will watch and wait. 
Has anyone checked the back of your old tricycle? That basket Oi. there. Oi. <laughs> Whatever you're insinuating, I reject it. I, listen, I'm sure you didn't steal the charities minister. Platt, on the other hand, yeah, who, who's to say? Who's to say? Each week, we're bringing you a good news bulletin, positive or quirky news stories that we've spotted in the sector. And this week, Emily's got a story for us about what is genuinely the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, 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 it is. I cannot believe it's that time again. Once again, it is time to weigh in on the magnificent brown bears of Katmai National Park in Alaska to decide which deserves to be crowned 2021's fattest bear. It's It's Fat Fat Bear Bear Week. Week. A little roar for the bears in there. So for listeners who are not familiar, Fat Bear Week is an annual online tournament run by the Park and Nature Reserve, which celebrates some of the world's largest brown bears as they prepare for winter hibernation. These bears have spent their summer eating as much salmon as they can lay their paws on to see them through their long winter sleep. During hibernation, they will not eat or drink and they can lose up to a third of their body weight. So their survival depends on accumulating ample fat reserves before they all go into their dens and bunker down. So in this elimination style tournament, uh, the National Park pits individual bears against each other and the public votes on who is the fattest. And the fattest bear of all is ultimately crowned champion. Over the course of the week, virtual visitors can also learn more about the lives and the histories of the individual bears while gaining a greater understanding of Katmai's ecosystem through a series of events. I love Fat Bear Week. I follow it every year it comes around. And I just think it is one of the most superb examples of an online campaign, which is tied to a cause and a mission, which is, you know, raising awareness of conservation and ecosystems. From a single Fat Bear Tuesday launched in 2014, the week-long event saw 640,000 votes cast for the fattest bears in 2020. So I'm hoping it's just going to be another bumper year for another bumper crop of very, very fat bears who deserve all the applause in the world. They are beautiful chunks eating so much, so much salmon. And I think what's great about it as well is they have pictures of the same bear before and after. Um, and they really, they like, they just look so sort of hangdog, I think, to start with. And then, yeah, and then they are these incredibly, yeah, with just these bellies that they're having to walk along. Like, yeah, it's 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 joyful. It's just fantastic. So we'll put a link in the show notes if anyone wants to get involved. Voting will close, I think, on Tuesday next week. So uh, we'll we'll put some details in the show notes. Um, Rebecca, closer to home, what have you got? Uh, I've got a great story, which I rather enjoyed just for some of the quotes as well. Um, this is um, a care home in Barnsley, uh, Kexborough House. So care home residents have turned their old bras into flower holders to provide support see what they did there, um, for Cancer Research UK. And um, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. This was the uh, brainchild of team leader Jane Penvose, who said uh, she describes the care home as like no other. And she said all the residents that have contributed have just thought it has been absolutely hilarious. So the home usually holds a fundraising coffee morning. but Because of the pandemic, they had to think of something else. And uh, yeah, and so they've decided to just hang their bras outside, outside the care home stuff with flowers just nestled in there <laughs> she says um, i think it's raised a few eyebrows in the village uh, we look out of the window on some days and people are just stood there looking across taking photos she says they're already planning their next fundraiser which will involve frilly knickers and y fronts to highlight cervical cancer and bowel cancer and she added watch out for the lacy thongs <laughs> uh, yeah i'm not i'm not clear how many like 
plants you can actually get into a thong is the thing but i suppose you could like knit them together into like a bird net or something um i don't know well we'll have to revisit and wait 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 and see for the photographic evidence won't we yep uh we'll pop uh, a link to that story it's a bbc story originally we'll pop links to that story in the um story on our website that's it from us uh we'll be back with another episode soon so make sure you subscribe to this the third sector podcast on your favorite podcast app to be the first to know about it until then i'm emily burt and i'm rebecca cooney thank you so much to our producer Lindsay riley at rethink audio and we'll see you next week Bye.